Hey, this is a, a great day, and it's my privilege to welcome our guest speaker for today. And all his credentials, everything is in the bulletin, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to do a formal welcome. Uh, but a very good friend of mine, Pastor Steve Gladen, and his wife Lisa are here with us. And uh, he has been, you know, yesterday, I don't know how many of you were here for our small group ministries training. My goodness, uh, almost 40 years of his experience was kind of uh, basically crammed into a three-hour session and incredible blessing yesterday for us to tap from his wisdom and experience and expertise in this field. Um, Pastor Steve Gladen, uh, you know, the, the, his current job, I would say, is the, is the pastor of small groups, and he's also an elder at Saddleback Church. As you know, it's a big church. I remember being introduced to him through one of my friends, uh, Jim Rhodes, and uh, when I met him, you know, it was a casual meeting, I thought, yeah, you know, I was basically, you know, a nobody. I was not working anywhere. I was just writing my book and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't think he's going to even remember me because he sit next to Rick Warren and big names and, you know, big church. And, and you know, that, that was it. But he was so kind in the last few years of our friendship. I'll drive down to Orange County. He will buy me lunch and he will mentor me. He will support me. Uh, and I had this incredible privilege to walk with some of this journey together and learn from him in Private sessions that way. So I, I invited him, and he was such a such an honor, Pastor Steve and Lisa, for being here. So let's give them a warm Lake Avenue uh, welcome. You know, round of applause for Pastor Steve Gladen. Pastor Matthew, thank you so very much. Uh, it, it's so exciting being with he and Joanne and to be with you at Lake Avenue. I tell you, uh, it's, a, it's a very emotional moment because um, first off, Elvin, good, my goodness, that was incredible. And then the shepherd's class, I mean, I'm like going, I feel like I should just come up here and close in prayer and then we'll call it a good day. But it's exciting for me because 40 years ago, uh, I was coming across the 210 freeway from the Midwest to attend Fuller Seminary. And I had the privilege of attending Lake Avenue Congregation in that, that fall, and I just came as a visitor and that, we were in the old building, and Paul Cedar was the pastor, so it's so exciting just to be here with you. But what's even more exciting is what's in store for Lake Avenue. I can't tell you the ride of God's spirit that you will be on as Pastor Matthew and Joanne lead you in a journey that's going to help Lake Avenue just surpass the legacy from the generations upon generations upon generations. There's not too many churches in America where you can go there. I met somebody, they go, oh, this is my third generation uh, that's at Lake Avenue. And I'm just like going, incredible history, incredible what God is going to do. And I'm very excited to bring this to you. So could we stand for the reading of God's word? And I'll be reading in John 21, and I'm going to start at verse 15, if I could. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, this is one thing about laptops, you cannot touch them too quick. 
Let's take two in God's word. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus has asked him for a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, I don't know when you read that scripture, I just want to pause really quick because a lot of times when you go to a story that can be somewhat familiar, what can happen is if you're brand new, you're like going, I didn't know this was familiar. And if you're brand new to Lake, I'm excited for you and your journey. If you don't like me, come back next week. You're going to love Pastor Matthew. But for those of you that have been around a while, you may say, I know this story. And one of the dangers of looking at God's word over and over again through the years or through the decades is that familiarity can sometimes stop you from understanding what the living word of God has to say for you today. And whether you're sitting up in the balcony and whether you're sitting on the floor, wherever you're sitting at, I just want to encourage you that as we go through this story, don't jump to the conclusion, I know where he's going. Because the beautiful thing about the living word is that it's going to take you in a journey and a place that you may not know. So one of the things I want to encourage you as we're going here is to understand that there are some things apart of the story I'm not going to touch on that are very powerful. One of them is, is that obviously Peter has denied Jesus earlier on in this journey. And Jesus was crucified because Peter denied him. And Jesus is reinstating Peter, giving him another opportunity by literally confirming three times that he's in the game. He's here to stay. He's here to jump into it. But I'm not going to touch on that. Another particular thing is that, you know, you can look at the word love and how love changes so many different times through this story. And how love can sometimes be a word that you just throw. You just throw it out there. I mean, literally, in our culture, in one sentence, you can go, I love my wife. And you can go turn around and go, oh, I love that donut. And you can think, you know, that love is just something that we get, it's such a rote word that we say, we just say it. I don't know about you, but uh, how many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. This is going to be audience participation a lot of the way of that. Okay, thank you very much. I don't know why Jesus loves you a little bit more than the rest of us, but he does. And uh, with those of you who are more godly and trying, who are night people, I'm one of you. I'm a night person. I'm a nocturnal person. And uh, love can sometimes be a word that you don't mean to say, but you can say it. And all of a sudden, you know, my daughter is in cheer, and she's got zero block. Zero block means that we leave the house at 5.15 in the morning, to get her to zero block so she can be in cheer. My wife is a very godly woman. She prayed about it. 
the Lord told her that I should get up and drive every time to cheer. I didn't get a confirmation on that, but I knew I've been married long enough to know that she must be right. And so I, I did an early run and, we, I came with, and I came back and it was about quarter to six in the morning and I was just looking forward to going to bed. Crawl back into those covers and say, Jesus, meet me. Jesus, take the wheel. And so, you know, I'm driving back in and uh, a gardener was fixing something on my property and, and he's a friend and he's a fellow believer and, and he was so excited to see me pull in the driveway and I'm like going, oh, can I just slip in and shut the garage door behind me and get up to bed? But I, I felt compelled that I had to go out and talk to him for a little bit. And so I was like, oh, what are you doing here so early? And he's going, he goes, it's gonna be so hot. I wanted to get here early. And he goes, I also wanna tell you about a few things. And I'm like going, I don't want to hear about a few things, uh, but, uh, but I said, you know, go ahead, and, and so we talked for a little while, and I was so tired, and I finally just had to say, I, I, I got to go. I got I to get to my house and try to get some sleep, and so I, so I wound down the story, and I, I just said, thank you so very much, and I love you, and I, I started to walk away, and I was like going, did I just tell my gardener that I loved him? <laughs> I wonder what my gardener's thinking. And I just went ahead and walked on in the house saying, you know what, I'll fix it the next time around. But you know, love is such a thing that when Jesus is talking to Peter, he's talking about love. But there's a different angle I wanna look at this morning. And I wanna take you all the way back to John 21, back at the first verse. And one of the things that I wanna talk to you about is in this passage, is that have you ever thought about what is Jesus love language. How many of you uh, have read a book or heard of a book called The Five Love Languages? Very popular book, been around since the early 90s and it's still in print today, incredible. As actually, it was the first small group study that Lisa and I did together as a married couple. We were in a couples group, we were studying The Five Love Languages. Now it's kind of hard to do an audience participation in this auditorium, but there are five different love languages. I don't know if any of you can remember any of them, but uh, one of them is time. Uh, another one is uh, gifts. Uh, another one is words. Another one is acts of service. Uh, the ones most guys remember is touch. All the guys were right there with me. Touch is a love language and things like that. And I remember when we went through the five love languages that talked about how if you're gonna care about anybody in a relationship, you're gonna wanna know their love language. And I can remember Lisa leaning over to me in the studies just saying, you're so lucky. And I'm like going, oh my goodness, newlywed couple, what am I so lucky about? And she goes, I'm all five. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm not feeling so lucky right now uh, with all of that. But no matter what relationship you're in, you try to know the love language of the person. And the important thing to understand is that if we are going to be the leader that God wants us to be in a culture that is so broken and so desperate to feel the love that is in this place. I've been into a lot of churches and I'm telling you, and my wife was like going, because I, I tend to be the emotional person, but I was like going, I was a mess on the front row over here. The worship. Elvin, the choir, what was going on? And you could just feel when, when the leader was saying, this is a family, I'm not going, I, I believe you. 
I want to be a part of this family. But if you want to be that leader that helps usher in, helping all of Pasadena and the San Gabriel Valley start to understand what this church is, lots of people drive by it. They might know of the place. But how are they going to find out what's in this place? Because once you walk in, you feel it. So let's go back to John 21. Let's look at verse 1. And let's kind of pick up the whole story right here. Because I think the story is going to help you out a little bit. And let me start at verse 1. It said, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the, the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter. Now stop right here because I want you to get the gist of the story. Because Jesus has walked with his 12 disciples. He's gone through three years of ministry with them. He's gone through a number of things. And, you know, the disciples are a little distraught. Their, their, their world has gone upside down. Their startup company has failed and the CEO has been hung on a cross and he's been killed. And they don't know what's going to happen. And even though Jesus has already appeared a few times to them, they are still not sure what God's plan is for their life. If you're sitting here and you're not sure what God's plan is for your life, I want to encourage you because God's word has a great story for us here. But Simon Peter, as scripture says, Peter, his name had already been changed. The son of God had gone to Peter and said, hey, your name was Simon, I'm changing it to Peter. Now, where Peter felt comfortable enough saying, you know, in John 21, I think I'm going to go back to my old name, I don't know. But it shows that he's drifting back to saying, I gotta go back to the familiar because I'm scared. And so it happened this way, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, known as a cool Greek name right there, uh, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Now, what you got to understand is when Peter's saying, we're going out to fish, he's not saying, hey, I've chartered a boat down at Dana Point. You guys want to come on? We're going to do some deep sea fishing, and we're just going to go out for the day. What Peter is saying here is, guys, we better go back to what we know, and we got to go back to fishing. We got to go back to our profession. And Peter, being a leader, whether good or bad, took seven of the remaining 11 disciples off mission. He literally is undermining what Jesus has put in place and said, I'm going to take seven of you. Let's go back to fishing. So they went out and they got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I want to pause here for a second. You can go through a lot of trials in your time. And you can think that Jesus isn't present. And I just want to encourage you. Jesus is on the shore. You may not see him. You may not recognize him. 
but he's on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them. He goes, hey, friends, do you have any fish? And scripture says the fishermen answered, no, they said. But let me give you a little context. Seven grown men that were fishermen, not very versed in language very well, had been out all night, so they're sleep deprived, didn't catch anything, so they're aggravated, and they're hungry, so they're super hangry, and they're seeing some yahoo on the shoreline saying, hey, you got any fish? They didn't answer just no, but uh, because there's uh, other kids in this audience, I thought I would give you the the nice word, but no, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul him the net in because of the large number of fish. Now catch this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, John is sitting next to Peter on the boat and he's saying, hey dude, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And then Peter does something that is always mysterious to theologians all over the place. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped an outer garment around him for he had taken it off and then he jumped in the water. Most of us, when we get in the water, we take our clothes off and then we jump in the water. Peter is doing quite the opposite. Now, you got to ask yourself the question, why was Peter so dishuffled? Why was he so dishuffled that he would hear the Lord's name and it would cause him to put a jacket on and then jump in the water? And when you look at the context of the story, you start to understand that what just happened when they threw the nets on the right side of the boat And when they hauled in the fish, Peter was having deja vu. Peter was understanding that this is the same storyline in Luke chapter 5. When Jesus called Peter into the ministry, into being a leader that God wanted him to be, it was the same story. And he goes, I know this story. In Luke 5, I was fishing all night. I couldn't catch anything. And he says, throw your nets on the right side and we catch lots of fish. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in the moment of despair, in the moment of being down, God is greeting him here and says, all right, one more time. Let me bring you the story. We did it in Luke 5, but let's crank it out one more time in John 21. Going to help you connect the dots to help you know that I am am in control. If something is out of control in your life, you may not understand it. And I know that's my personality. I mean, when I take personality tests, man, I am all about order and processes and systems and all those kinds of things. And when something's out of control, I'm like going, where's God? But what God may be saying to you this morning is it's under control. 
It's under control because I've got the picture. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards, which is another sign of Peter, impetuous, 100 yards away. Let me still see if I can run faster. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, I want you to get this. This is hard to grasp in Southern California, but if you've ever been up to Big Bear or Arrowhead or if you've gone out camping or anything like that, sometimes you can come out of your tent and you can, you can smell campfires around and you, can, and you can just literally walk outside and you can just smell, just go, and you go, wow. You have that aroma of what's in the air when campfires are going and things are happening. You see, Peter was having the same emotions. You see, whenever the gospel is specific about something, you gotta pay attention. Because in one moment, Peter is hearing that it's the Lord, his, his heart is beating, and he's so excited that he jumps into the boat and he's treading through water. And it says there's a fire of burning coals and he sees Jesus on the shore. You see, the same sensations he had back earlier in the gospel when he was standing around a fire of burning coals denying Jesus, Jesus was setting the stage, saying the things that took you down are the things I'm gonna use to bring up the gospel. Fire of burning coals is only used twice in the scriptures, right here and at the denial that Peter was talking about. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish I have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Now, I don't know if John was, you know, writing the story down and he's just like, he's like writing the story down and going through like this and he's like going, and Peter brought a large net of fish together and he's like going, oh man, it'd be great to know how many fish were in there. Hey, sons of Zebedee, go count the fish. And they're like going, 150, 151, 152, 153. John, 153. And he's going, oh, that's great, 153. Thank you very much there, right there. And he puts in 153. I like that. <laughs> it's about the most life I got out of the congregation. Thank you for that, amen. Large fish, about 153. You might want to circle that or highlight it on your device because we're going to come back to it. But even then, with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him who you are because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them. And they did the same thing with the fish. Now, what you've got to understand in this story is Jesus knew what would get the disciples through this next part of the journey. You see, when Jesus is saying, come and have some bread and some fish, you and I are thinking of like going to a fish place and you know, say, I'm getting some fish and chips or something like that. What Jesus is saying here is think, think in 1 Corinthians 11 when communion was happening. 
communion wasn't a, uh, like a quick communion thing that you may do in church. You know, you get a little shot glass, put some juice in it, get a little cracker, and you know that. I didn't mean that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you, it's, it's something that you think. But communion back in the day, it was a meal. It was presence. And when you talk about family, it was community. It was a community, like when, like when you get your kids around the table when they're being godly. You know, we've got our kids around the table and it's a mess. But uh, imagine getting your kids around the table and you actually have a conversation and, and things are going good. That's what Jesus is talking about here and he's giving to them. And it says, Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and they did the same thing with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then we get a familiar passage coming right back around to 15. said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Circle the word these, highlight it, circle it, because have you asked yourself the question, what are the these? When Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these, what's he talking about? Is he pointing to the sons of Zebedee? Do you love me more than these? What's he pointing to? You see, what Jesus was pointing to, and it's very important for you to understand this, and you know the context of the story, Jesus was pointing to a pile of 153 fish. You see, to you and me, you would say, yeah, I love you more than 153 fish. Throw another 100 on there. I love you more than 253 fish. But you gotta understand that in the first century, the, the payload of what they brought in 153 large fish. That's why it said in the Gospels, the net wasn't broken, which is a miracle, was the equivalent of about a quarter's worth of pay. It was like the payday. It was the payload. It was the mother load. And what you have to understand is that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than financial security? Now, I understand Jesus is only asking for 153 fish. Or Pastor Matthew, he wants your car, your house, you know, your, your vacation home, a few other things. But, you know, we'll, we'll stick to the Bible story for right now. But he's saying, do you love me more than these? Every one of us are driven by comfort. Every one of us are driven by control. Every one of us want to make sure we're taken care of. And to hand it over to somebody else can be pretty scary. A hundred and fifty-three fish was Peter's these that was going to stop him from doing ministry. And Jesus says, "Do you love me more than these?" Now here's the question. Do you want to be the leader that God wants you to be here at Lake Avenue? 
Do you want to be that person that history will look back on and saying, I helped usher in that next wave of God's spirit, that next wave of what God was going to do in the San Gabriel Valley. I said, yes, Lord, send me. You have to answer the question, what are your these? A lot of you may be able to give a ton of excuses, but I want you to listen to one of our group leaders give his testimony. His name is Rob. And I want you to see what his these was that he was battling from doing what God wanted him to do to help with community. Watch this. My name is Rob Trotloff. For the past five years, I've been living my life flat on my back. My spine is literally falling apart. If, if someone were to ask me 20 years ago or 30 years ago where I would be right now, being flat on my back with constant pain is not where I would have put myself. Rob has, I think, maybe 20 different medications. He takes maybe 50 pills a day. There are days where he literally just can't do anything. He's just laying there in pain. In the past 10 years, I've had four major surgeries on my spine. After the major spinal reconstruction that we underwent at the Mayo Clinic, the surgeon came in and sat down and told Chris and I that I was going to be permanently disabled and literally that I had to get used to the fact that I would no longer be able to continue my profession as a physician. Rob is not unfamiliar with pain. Uh, when we were growing up, we were in a car accident. I was burned over 40% of my body my mother and brother never did make it out of the truck and were killed in the accident. God has used these experiences, many of them painful, to prepare me for ministry in a variety of ways. I, I think of the scripture, when you look and reflect on the things that he's going through, God has a way of putting in perspective by calling it light affliction. So suddenly I find myself limited to a 12 by 12 room and a bed. And I've gone from an activist practice now to essentially absolute peace and quiet. And I think God has put me on a shelf. I'm done. I started watching Saddleback Online Services and Pastor Rick was consistently telling us that we should be living out our Christian lives in the small group setting. So I became involved in an online small group as a host right from flat on my back. As I'm watching services, as though Pastor Rick were speaking to me, he begins to talk about the importance of sharing our faith on a daily basis. And I think, there's no way I can do this. I don't even get out of the house except to go to the doctor. And I began to pray, God, use me, and you're going to have to bring it to me because I can't move. Then a friend 
from Saddleback gives me a call and asks if I would be interested in working with the peace team that's going down to Rwanda. They're beginning a pilot program called telemedicine in which doctors with difficult patients can contact U.S. physicians and ask questions about how to deliver the best care. Dr. Poli Poli. Yes, sir. Were her neck veins distended? Yes. And, uh, uh, so through the, the use of technology and this guide, I'm able to connect with the physician in Rwanda face-to-face as they examine and talk about a patient. Now, instead of the doctors in Rwanda seeing the peace team several times a year with doctors, now they can contact a doctor in the U.S. that's a part of the peace team anytime using the technology. God's given me a wonderful second chance to be able to share my faith, to help care for patients literally around the world, using technology, being face-to-face with people that are out there and in the trenches, to watch how God answered those prayers. He's taken me off the shelf, dusted me off, and put me right back into action. All for His glory. So what's your excuse? I don't think many of you are lying flat on your back. But what's your excuse? What are your these? Even once you figure those out, which Peter did, I know where you're going next because Peter went there. If you look at first, I mean, if you look at John 21, 21, Peter says this. When when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? You got to go back to verse 20 to pick up the story, but John was trailing Peter and Jesus in this little dialogue. And all of a sudden, Peter's saying, yes, Lord, I'll feed your sheep. I'll take care of them. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And then he's like going, "Uh uh-oh, what did I get myself into? And he noticed that John was trailing behind him. And he said, Lord, I know what you want me to do, but what about him? Every one of you in here are saying, why should I? Because there's somebody else. In your worship folder is a little card right here. I'd like everyone to pull it out. Just kind of wave it to me all the way up in the balcony. Even with the bright lights, I love that. I can see that. Phew, looks like a Pentecostal service. Uh, But yeah. (laughs) On this card right here, it gives you an opportunity to do what Jesus did to the disciples and saying, come, let's grab some fish. Let's grab some bread. It gives you the opportunity to say, not what Peter said, what about him, but what about me? And I just want to let you know, I've, I've talked to, I've trained a lot of small group leaders, and leading a group isn't hard, because this church makes it so easy. The staff are here to help you. But here's the journey that is asking you to go on. You have two check boxes right there. One, yeah, I'd like to join a short-term group. 
If you are a low bar person and you feel like not jumping into the game and letting God use you, how was that for some Catholic guilt? Uh, but uh, you can join a group if that's what you want to do. I mean, if that's, you know, what you have to do. But the great thing is, is that the box right below it is grab a couple of friends and be a host. And let me tell you what host stands for. If you have a heart for people, if you can open up a place, any place, your office, a coffee shop, your home, if you can serve a snack, if you can turn on a video or turn on the talk it over or turn on the, the message application guide that, that the church has here for you. If, if you can, if you've got two friends, how many of you have two friends? Raise your hands right now. I, how many of you have two friends? I'm not going to quit. Come on. If you want to get out of here in time for lunch, you better answer the question. How many of you have two friends? Okay. It's about everybody. If you got two friends, you can pull them together and say, do you want some fish, fish and bread? Or you may want to step it up a little bit, uh, but you know, but you could literally just host them at your house and say, could we talk about what God said on the weekend? Do it with your friends. Check that box, fill in the information at the bottom. I want each one of you to say, yes, Lord, I love you. I'll feed your sheep. Because Jesus' love language isn't this beautiful building, isn't the beautiful pipe organ, isn't the beautiful everything that's around here. But Jesus' love language is the person to your left and to your right. Jesus' love language is saying, will you be the one, or are you going to point like Peter did and said, hey, what about John? Be the person that takes that step. I want to give you a couple seconds, grab a pencil out of the thing in front of you, grab a pen, grab something, and just fill out this card and just take a moment to say, God, I'll take a risk with you. I know you're on the shore. I know you're there. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the honor and privilege to have a trip down memory lane for me from 40 years ago when I used to hang out at this place and hang out with these people and be in an adult class. Lord, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so blessed, Lord, by the legacy that this place poured into me. And I'm, I, I'm, I can't express the gratitude that I have for this church and what it has meant to me and my ministry. But Lord, right now, as we've kind of unpacked your word and read the scripture, Lord, I pray that this scripture would be a, a living word into each person's heart. From all the way through the balcony, through all the way on the floor, Lord, I know the enemy is saying, I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if you got two friends. I don't know if anyone's going to listen to you. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But I know Jesus is there saying, I do know. And Lord, I would pray that what this culture needs more than anything else is a loving community to welcome them. Lord, I pray that you would help each person here say, I'll take a step with you. 
If anything that Rob's testimony communicated, if people are willing, God can use them. So Jesus, as the cards are filled out, I pray that you would just touch the person that may have two friends that said, hey, I could invite them over for a little something to eat and chat about what happened on the weekend. Or Lord, for the person that said, you know, I may be new to this community. I may be new to the San Gabriel Valley, to Pasadena, and I don't know anybody. Lord, if they truly don't know anybody, may they just check that box and say, help me find community. Help me find the family that I feel in this place. So Jesus, I pray that your anointing would go on in this moment as we have an opportunity just to respond to you, Lord, and what you're saying to us on this particular Sunday morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.